Welcome, 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 everybody, to the Sports Business Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Eric Compton, a.k.a. Mr. Town Business. Uh, this podcast is available on all platforms, so you got Google, you got Stitcher, you got Anchor, you got Apple. Uh, I'm pretty sure I missed someone. I'm, I'm hoping Pandora one day will pick us up, but that's TBD. Uh, working on that. Hope everyone had a great Easter Resurrection Sunday. Um, I hope everybody got to eat good, got to uh, hang out with their family in a, in a safe manner. Uh, Lord knows I did yesterday. I, I, I ate good and I'm paying for it today because I probably gained a couple of pounds, but that's neither here or there. Um, but we had a great sports weekend and it was such a great sports weekend. I had to bring back my boy. Uh, he's always he's always welcome here on the show. Uh, and that is the host, one of the co-hosts of the Fantasy Headliners, Mr. Christopher Kennedy. Um, I couldn't thank him enough for running it back this week, but uh, I, I figured this was a good time to bring him on because there's so much going on in the sporting world. So without further ado, I do got Mr. Chris Kennedy here. My man, what's going on, bro? What's going on, Eric? So thank you so much for having me back, man. I had an absolute blast the, the last time we were on. And like I said, you know, before we started the show, anytime I get to chop it up with you and talk shop, I'm I'm all in. Man, like I said, once you come on the sh- once you come on the show, you're family, man. So you're all the doors always open. Perfect. Uh, you know, so I, I like I said, thanks again. But um, yeah, like th- th- this week was just crazy, mm-hmm. man. There was there was a lot of things that took place, and you know, everyone's talking about the shot heard around the world, which I keep hoping this team loses, but I keep having to eat crow because I was sold that Gonzaga was overrated, but. Chris, you think they can run the table tonight, man? I I think so. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think that I think that Gonzaga is the most complete team in the tournament in all of college basketball. And everyone keeps talking about their offense, which they absolutely should be because they're I mean, they're just so complete on the offensive side of the ball, but it's been their defense this tournament that has really been impressing me and and a lot of other people for that matter. So I don't think their defense gets enough credit. And that's really what has been keeping them, you know, as dominant as they have been throughout the regular season and now throughout the tournament. Yeah, yeah. And I I watched, um, it was was crazy. Um, Saturday night, I was actually here at the house. Now, I I just had zero interest in watching Gonzaga. Just keeping it a buck. Um, So I did watch the Baylor-Houston game, Mm. but that really wasn't much of a game. Um, and I kind of got a little bit of a uh, 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 little bit of interest in Baylor just due to the fact that Davion Mitchell, believe it or not, he's from Hinesville, Georgia. I was stationed in Hinesville, Georgia, so there's kind of a little bit of a, a small connection for me to kind of be a little bit vested in the Baylor. But I, I just um, I, I got an alert um, about the last two minutes of the uh, the Zaga um, UCLA game, and, and and I was like, okay, well, you know, it's two minutes, it can't be that bad. So and Chris, those teams were playing like their hearts out. Um, bucket for bucket, just just going back and forth, and game goes into overtime, and I think the Zags are up by six, and I was and I was like, well, looks like it's curtains for these boys. Yeah, somehow UCLA pulls. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say, I kind of felt the exact same way, and it's funny because I was actually FaceTiming with uh, with with my parents throughout the first half of mm-hmm. of the of the Gonzaga game, and at halftime, I was like, you know what, like I'm tired, I'm gonna. They're, they've, they've, they're going to have this in hand. The second half is going to be different. I'm just going to go to bed. And I was kind of like laying in bed for a while. And I wake up, you know, after kind of drifting off for a little bit. And I get the same sure. alert. And I was like, oh, man, I need to go back out into the living room and turn the TV back on mm-hmm. so I can just see what happens. And it was one of the best finishes that, that I can remember watching, you know, in my lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing I actually thought of was I might have been three or four years ago. For the national championship, it was Nova against, I want to say, Carolina. 20, 2016, and it was Chris Jenkins hit the buzzer beater. That's that's the first thing yep. I thought of as far as, like, great, as far as, like, you know, as far as shots, shots that just mattered the most. Obviously, you got the Christian Leitner shot um, to me, which I think will probably go down as the greatest shot in history. But I instantly just thought of the, 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 the Nova versus Carolina game for the national championship. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm going to have to eat crow now, Chris, on air, that I think Gonzaga has a chance of running the table. My only caveat to that is I don't think that the competition that they've played is anything compared to maybe a Baylor who can probably match them athletically. And the things about Baylor that doesn't really get enough credit, like you said about the Zags defense, is Baylor's defense as well. And I think they have 
a whole bunch of athletes on their team that could probably go toe for toe with Timmy Suggs and and the rest of the crew with Zags. With, with, with Absolutely, Zags. and and that's kind of been Baylor's mo, you know, throughout the years. It's just been, you know, they may not have they may not ro- kind of roster the best basketball players, but they roster some of the best athletes, and so they can just run up and down mm-hmm. the court with anyone in in the NCAA. The one thing that concerns me with Baylor though is that they live and die by the three. And if if those they shots do. aren't dropping, you know, if they're not hitting 60% of their shots like we saw the other night, there's a very slim chance mm-hmm. that they're going to win that basketball game. And up, up against a team like Gonzaga, who is so complete on both ends of the floor, that's going to be an uphill climb for them if those threes are not dropping. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, quick question about the Zags. So, you know, for the for the longest time, the Zags were kind of like the little engine that could, you know, they had a great regular season, great um you know, um, conference mm-hmm. tournaments, uh, performances and things like that, but they were laying egg um, in the big dance tournament. Is it time to start kind of considering Gonzaga as a, a national powerhouse? And I'm not going to say that they're uh, a Kentucky, a Duke, a Louisville, a Kansas, um, hell, even a Syracuse, um, North Carolina. Are, are they like that right under that tier or is it time to kind of even start mentioning within those those teams that I yeah named? i think i think gonzaga is obviously they're, they're no longer that feel-good cinderella story that we remember from 20 years ago when they made that great run in the tournament this is now a team that needs right. to i mean it's it's one of those things where i wouldn't be surprised if mark few if, if gonzaga wins i can see mark few pulling a pulling a lebron james from last year's nba championship and saying you know what i want my damn respect too because Gonzaga does not get enough yeah. respect, to be honest with you, because you do think of all these other powerhouse schools out there, you know, especially the ones that underperform this season, like Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina to an extent, mm-hmm. except for the second half of the season. And so Louisville, Louisville, exactly. So Gonzaga is definitely now one of the top tier programs in the country. And I believe that they truly are a destination school for top recruits coming out of high school. Especially yeah. out of the West Coast. And Seattle is a huge thoroughbred of basketball, which a lot of people kind of sleep on this you know they had jason terry you got jamal crawford that are out of the seattle area so um absolutely um i even have to eat a little bit of crow because you know i always kept saying that i, I was going to take the other 67 team mm-hmm. um and and i think even with them even if they do lose tonight i think it's time to start taking them a little taking them at, at serious as a national powerhouse um i think they're in a huge good recruiting ground being yeah. on the west coast um, even though UCLA was a Cinderella story, I mean, they were an 11 seed this year, so we're not going to say that UCLA is back in that uh, breath. Um, I'm just thinking about all the other West Coast schools um, on the West Coast. You know, the Pac-12, as far as basketball, it's not really a basketball-known school. If you take UCLA out, um, USC's had a couple of good years, but outside of yep, that, Stanf- you know, I was going to say Stanford had, had a few good anything. seasons when they had the Lopez brothers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Yeah, Lopez... Uh, you know, they they, they 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 haven't been what they needed to be um, really since Mike Montgomery was the coach, if you think about it. And that's almost 20 yeah. some odd years ago. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think they're in there. Um, but, hey, hmm. quick question. Is it quick to say, is it safe to say maybe the, the women's national tournament was a little bit more exciting than the It was. I mean, there year? certainly weren't as many quote unquote upsets because I feel like in, in women's college basketball, you know, it's it, it, it can definitely it's be chalk. very chalky and for good reason because those top teams mm-hmm. – are just head and shoulders above the, the rest in, in women's basketball. Um, I'm not going to lie. There was a part of me um, that was super, super excited to see UConn lose. And and a lot of it is just because they're, I mean, they, they just win all the time. All right. Like they're just expected to win year right. in and year out. They've been dominant for so many years. And there was a comment that Gino Ariema made after, uh, after UConn, I believe it was in the Elite Eight win to get them into the Final Four. And it was the last second shot where, you know, there was that controversial, you know, not controversial. It was a foul. It was, let's, foul. Let's, let's be completely it foul, honest. Yeah. It, was an, it was an absolute yeah. foul. They and saw the whistle. A reporter right. after the game. Against yes, Baylor, yeah, exactly. And what, a reporter asked Gino after mm-hmm. the game, you know, hey, or said, made a comment like saying, hey, you know, uh, LeBron James and other people are on social media saying that it was a foul, this and that or whatever. And, uh, and then Gino made some comment like, well, you know, these people need to stop complaining because it's not going to change the outcome of the game. And my first thought was, well, Gino, they know it's not going to change the outcome of, of the game. But just 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 be aware right, that you right. pretty much got a, you know, you got away with one there and that you kind of got a free pass to the next round. Right. And, you know, uh, karma, karma is a you know what, and it kind of probably caught up to them um, when they played Arizona, which I mean, even with Arizona being a three seed, that's kind of an upset 
playing against oh, absolutely. UConn, you know, the almighty UConn. So, um, yeah, I, I found it to be very I, – I thought the UConn-Baylor game was amazing all the way up to that that terrible call. I even thought um, the Stanford-Arizona uh, game last night was an amazing game as yeah, well. Um, so. I want to I say quickly, yeah, uh, big props to Baylor, you know, for just putting together a couple of top-tier college basketball programs from the men's and the mm-hmm. women's side. It's, it's good to see. Right. Right. And it kind of reminds me of that year Louisville. Uh, I think it was 2014-ish. Louisville, the male and the female teams had gone up, at least up to the final four. And uh, they, they ended up coming. I think Louisville, the male side may have won the national championship. And I think the females were um, were in the final four. So it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. So it would have been kind of cool to see both male and the, and, and the females uh, getting getting into the final four of the national championship. Yeah. Game and also uh, U- UConn did the exact yeah. same thing. Their men's and women's team won the championship. It was either 2011 or, or 2014. I, I can't remember which championship it was. But there was a year where, where both sides won as right. well. Right. So, and shout out to te- uh, to the head coach of uh, Stanford, Tara Van Dever, um, not going to the to uh, winning the national championship since I was like mm-hmm. four or five years old. Didn't know that. I, I you, you always think of Stanford always being a, a women's basketball powerhouse, and the fact that she's gone that long without a national championship, I found that out last That's night. Awesome. I didn't know that. So, um, I yeah, it's it's great. And you know, shout out to, to Stanford at Bay Area School. So you know, we try to keep it homebound here. So on this show, but. Um, I know the main reason why I brought you on this show, Mr. Chris, is because not only are you like the, the fantasy, daily fantasy guru, but you're also a pretty good scout and you can call things a mile away. Um, you got like this uh, Yoda type of uh, vision. Um, so I, I brought you on here and, you know, there, there's been a lot of NFL pro days. The draft is about three weeks away, if I'm not mistaken, on the 28th or something of that realm. Um, the 28th. Uh, so it's about three weeks away. And I wanted to bring you on because there's been a lot of um, mock drafts, and I know you've been viewing a lot of the pro days. Um, one person in particular that I brought up, or I, I was thinking, who I, I don't even know if the nation or anyone else has been watching BYU Cougar college football is is apparently Zach Wilson is on a lot of people's mock draft boards the number two quarterback over even a Mac Jones from Alabama or even a Justin Fields. Is this kid really worth the hype or? Um, what's going on? Because I know the going notion this year is that it's a supply and demand. So supply and demand means that basically this year's draft has a lot of quarterbacks that are eligible, that have a lot of potential compared to probably the 2022 draft where um, it looks like there's not going to be that top blue chipper quarterback that's going to be coming out of next year's draft. So it looks like everyone's loading up on quarterbacks on this year's drafts based on potential. But is he really worth the hype? Zach Wilson? Well, this is the thing with with Zach Wilson is – with with him, when you go back and you watch his film, um, he definitely has his opportunities. Like there's certain areas where he struggles. Um, his footwork was something that was a little bit of a concern of mine after going through his tape. His three and five step drops um, were kind of mm-hmm. sloppy. And so I did see him start to clean that up a little bit more in his pro day. And I do expect him to continue to, to clean that up. And that's something that's, that's coachable. Like you can, you can coach somebody on their footwork and improve that. The one thing that is great with him mm-hmm. Is that not only does he have an extremely strong arm, one of the one of the strongest arms in this year's class, but it's excuse me, it's the ball placement for him, you know that that really does it for me. And <clears throat> excuse me, and the accuracy, like he's got the accuracy, the ball placement um, on the run. You know when he's moving out of the pocket, people think when they think of athleticism, you know they're thinking of Justin Fields or Trey Lance, and they don't necessarily think of Zach Wilson. But Zach Wilson reminds me so much of an Aaron Rodgers, and I'm not comparing Wilson to Rodgers by any means because that's just that would be insane that'd be insane on my part but I will say this when you watch (laughs) Zach Wilson throw and and be creative on the run and hit the arm angle that he has when he releases that football it is so Aaron Rodgers-esque it's Mm. an absolute beautiful thing to watch and that's what impresses me the most about him is that he can improvise use those legs and that athleticism to get outside of the pocket but to keep the play going and that's what i love about him because he never actually gives up on a on a particular play which can be kind of to his his detriment there have been times where you know he might be getting tackled and going to the ground and he tries to make that one extra throw and it just doesn't go his way um but for me he has he has all the intangibles to be a really good quarterback in the nfl and if i had to make a bet i would put all my money on him being the number two pick to the new york jets this year Ooh, so with the New York Jets being right there in the number two pick, 
does that mean that they move on from Sam Darnold? I think that they kind of have to. If you're if you're willing to make that kind of investment, you know, in your future, then that doesn't really say very much about about Sam Sam Darnold. I will say this though, if the Jets do want to give because the Jets now have a, a completely new regime, you know, as far as their coaching staff is concerned. They brought in Robert Right. Exactly. Andrew they brought in Robert Sala from the 49ers, who's now their head coach. They have uh, Matt LaFleur's brother, Mike, Mike LaFleur, is their offensive coordinator. And so they have they have a new regime coming in. And it could be, you know what, hey, we still see something in Sam Darnold. Let's let's give it one more year. And if that doesn't work out, then you know we're probably still going to have a, a pretty bad year in, in 2021 if Darnold doesn't work out, which means that they could, again, have a high draft pick in 2022. And Spencer Rattler, the Oklahoma quarterback, is most likely going to be the number one pick in next year's draft. So they could go in that direction. But for me personally, if you're sold on Zach Wilson, you take him. And then what you do is you just you put Darnold on the trading block. You get what you can for him and you you move on. You start fresh. Right. I, I mean, you know, with this year's um, uh, free agent class, you know, the, the, there wasn't really too much quarterback. Well, there was a little bit of quarterback movement. Uh, with Andy Dalton going to the Bears uh, and whatnot, so yeah, I, 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 like I said, I haven't really watched a lot of BYU uh, football. Um, I think they're in the, mm-hmm. West, the the Mountain West, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so I, I should be watching them because UNLV is in the Mountain West. But I mean, it's, it's and BYU, I will say this with uh, you know, with Zach so. Wilson's pro there's, day, there's uh, there were only, there were three teams who brought not only their general manager, head coach, and offensive coordinator to the to Zach Wilson's pro day, and that was the Jets the Falcons and the Broncos. So those are three teams that are heavily interested in Zach Wilson. But if I'm the Falcons, I don't think he, he doesn't fall to them at number four, unfortunately. I don't, I, I, ooh, I so, so with that being said, we already know Trev, Trevor Lawrence yep. out of Clemson is probably going to go number one. We're going to say Zach Wilson will go number two. Where does Justin Fields and kind of kind of fall into this equation? Because it seems like you know there's been a little bit of chatter, uh, supposedly some 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 leadership issues, or you know you know he has some characteristic issues and whatnot. Is he is he is this stock? I don't don't think it is to be honest with you. And the whole character issue and you know like him being quote unquote lazy and whatnot. I think that's I think it's just it's a load of crap to be honest with you. Um, When you talk to his coaches, his teammates, anyone else around him they just rave about his work ethic and teams that don't necessarily believe in a player's work work ethic. They're not going to say that they'll talk about all the other positive things about that player. And they'll kind of shy away from the work ethic piece of it. So I, I think that he's right. He's definitely raw, you know, with, with Justin Fields, uh, my, my colleague, Chris Chouse made a great comparison to Justin Fields. And he said that he is a better version of Cam Newton, a more accurate Cam Newton, which I think is, when you look at his throwing motion, you know, the way that he he gets rid of the ball, his athleticism, everything does scream a lot of, you know, kind of peak Cam Newton. Not not 2020 Cam Newton, but like, you know, six, seven years ago. Right, Cam right, Newton. right. 20, 20. Yeah. Right, and right, when right, you right. look at MVP what the 49ers season. did, you know, the 49ers gave up a lot to move up to the number three pick. Exactly. They gave up the farm. And Kyle Shanahan, they gave up Kyle the Shanahan farm. Yeah. has raved about mobile quarterbacks and how this league is starting to really evolve into a more dual threat quarterback type of league. And let's be honest, Jimmy G is not right. a dual threat quarterback by any means. And it, well, Jimmy G can't even stay. Exactly. Healthy. And so that's, Jimmy G that too. No, he's got, he's got a couple of years left on his contract. If the 49ers do decide to move on from him, either trading him or releasing him, they're going to have a very minimal dead cap hit against them. So it would, it wouldn't hurt them at all if they were to do so. And so my thinking here is that, there are two scenarios, in my opinion. They either take Justin Fields at number three and they trade Jimmy G. Or what they do is they draft Trey Lance, who is even more of a project, but still just as talented. Um, Trey Lance is kind of like a Josh Allen 2.0, strongest arm in this year's class, but right. super raw. You know, he still has a little bit of some accuracy issues and needs to be coached up more. So if they took Trey Lance at number three, I would say that they should then keep Jimmy G. And then move on from him in 2022 when Lance is ready to move into that starting role for the 49ers. So those are a couple scenarios that I personally would be looking at. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's funny that we're talking about, you know, how the, the league is kind of transitioned into more of a dual threat. Um, I'm going to say, uh, you know, spread, spread offense type of type of football. 
but it is look like it, it does look like it's kind of evolving in there. And one one person that's in the draft in Mac Jones, um, he's he's not a dual threat quarterback. He's he's a more of a traditional, old school pocket passer, um, you mm-hmm. know, sit in the pocket type of quarterback. Um, you know, a lot of people saying that his you know, based off of his style, he may not be the most um, successful type of quarterback based off of the way the league is changing because it is more of an eleven on eleven type of uh, game these days. Do you still see him in like that mid mid round first mid first rounder kind of kind of thing? Do you think that he can probably land in maybe if Atlanta if he falls somewhere around Atlanta, um, you know, in the, in their hands? Do you think that he can he can? You think Mac Jones is potential because he had a pretty good season and even when he filled in for uh, Tua last year, he didn't play bad. Um, and then he had you know we only really have like one full season of Mac Jones football. Is he is he is he still a work in progress or is he somebody? Absolutely, I think I would be shocked if Mac Jones lasted longer than pick 15 where the new england patriots go if he if he drops past number 15 i'll mm-hmm. i'll be very surprised i also would not be surprised if he ends up going in the top mm-hmm. 10 because mac jones is one of the most pro ready quarterbacks in this year's class and and of That's course you look thought. at his stats from from this past season and they're great he had to he had Devonte smith and Jalen waddle as his receiver so and Najee harris at running back who's also a very good right. receiving back so he had plenty of weapons to succeed and right. I will say this though, Mac Jones didn't really show out at his pro day. Like there, he, he, I wasn't wowed by his pro day and I wasn't deterred by that at all because his intangibles, what he can do to help a team win isn't necessarily, you know, something that you see in a pro day. He doesn't have the strongest arm. Um, you know, he had someone who right. had a very low average depth of target. So he's not someone that's going to try to sling it down the field a lot. And mm-hmm. that's what he tried to do in his pro day to show those scouts like, Hey, I know I don't throw throw deep a ton, but I want to show you that I can. Um, I will say this about Jones, though. Even though he doesn't throw down downfield often, he did complete almost 60% of his passes on throws 20 yards or more down the field, which was only second to Zach Wilson this past year. And I will say he's one of the more accurate quarterbacks when mm. under pressure because of the poise that he has. He can stand in the pocket and kind of manipulate the pocket by using the you know some, some mobility that he does have. He's not a a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance, but he's someone who knows how to manipulate the pocket and kind of make things move around just by using his feet. And with Mac Jones, it's the accuracy. It's the leadership. It's his pre-snap reads. It's it's all those, the little things that you don't really necessarily think of that he can do to help win a team. He is, he is the quintessential leader. It's funny that you say that, Chris, because when you were saying that he has the, the tangibles that he has, it can't really translate into a pro day and when you were describing it and when you were saying that you know you'd be shocked if he fell past 15 to new england you know those tangibles that you were talking about not you know this would probably be blasphemy but it sounds very tom brady-esque you know tom brady didn't have a great pro day he didn't have a, uh, an amazing college career but he had the leadership he knew how to move his eyes and things like that however you know the the, the, the knock on uh, on mac jones is that this dude had probably two wide receivers that are going to go top 10, top 15 um, in, in, in the uh, in the draft. And, and that's kind of the reason why I wanted to ask about that is because you have one Devontae Smith, who is the Heisman mm-hmm. Trophy, uh, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Um, it's like the third Bama player, third or fourth Bama player to actually win the Heisman, probably within the last 15 years or so. Um, you got him. Then you also have Jalen Waddle, who's actually coming off of a, a very freakish broken ankle, I believe, too. Um, and he, he came back in the national championship game, was still able to produce a little bit. But, you know, Devontae Smith said that he's staying at 170 pounds um, in, in the NFL because he feels like he can he can move, up, you know, move freely and still be able to dominate the way he did. Um, it, it's, with the two Bama receivers, um, which Bama is known to have a great pedigree of receivers, is this... Are, uh, are they as good as the other Bama receivers that are now transitioning in the league? Like, I think Devontae Smith is probably better than Henry Ruggs III, and that's coming from a Raider fan. Like, when I saw Henry Ruggs III's rookie season was very, very disappointing. Um, but I, you know, that's take it with a grain of salt. But are these Absolutely. are these two cats really that good? And yep. is their game going to be able to tra- tra- transition into the league? I was going to say, Warhol, I, I, I absolutely do think that they will. Um, and I like to make the comparison to somebody like Marvin Harrison, you know, who didn't necessarily have the biggest build. You know, he wasn't the tallest mm. receiver, but he just knew how to run routes and he knew how to create separation at the line of scrimmage because of his footwork, because of his the, the hands and the movement that he had and just being able to, you know, have that release off the line of scrimmage 
even though he necessarily wasn't necessarily the strongest or the biggest guy out there, it was really the technique that he had that helped him to win all those matchups. Hmm. Gotcha. And then with Waddle with that freakish ankle injury, is there any any red flags? He's, he's going to be good to go. Or, um, I wasn't surprised to, to see that he didn't do anything during the pro day. Uh, Devontae Smith did actually run a few routes for Mac Jones during mm -hmm. Mac Jones's pro day. So it was nice to see Devontae Smith get out there for, you know, a few routes. Mm -hmm. He ran a few a few deep routes, which was nice to see. Um, I have Jalen Waddle rated a little bit higher than Devontae Smith. And a lot of that is just because of the potential for Waddle. Um, one thing that Waddle does is that he's a really good, he's a good route right. runner, but not a great route runner because he's so fast that sometimes his speed can hurt him mm -hmm. as he tries to make those quick stops and breaks, you know, out of his route. Um, but he's got top end speed. His acceleration is absolutely right. phenomenal. You know, if, if a ball's right. underthrown, that's okay because his speed can make up for that. And he can really make sure that he's using those great hands and that speed to just create that separation for, you know, between he and the defender. Gotcha. And Najee Harris, you know, Bayer Najee Harris, I think, should be the number one running back taken off off the board. Um, I think I think it's Najee Harris. I think so too. Uh, I would say Najee Najee Harris, Javante Williams, and then probably Travis uh, Etienne. I love I love Javante Williams quite a bit, but with Harris, I think he's mm -hmm. the most complete back. He's not the fastest, you know. Um, he's kind of like a he's like right. twenty pounds or fifteen to twenty pounds lighter than Derrick Henry, but he runs a very similar style of play he's a very aggressive just powerful runner who loves mm -hmm. to finish plays always is looking for the contact you're not going to see him run out of bounds um but for somebody who's not right. super fast and of someone at, right. uh, at his size at 6'2 230 he ran a 4 4 5 40. he's got great quickness awesome agility um his balance is absolutely phenomenal i mean he's somebody who can take a hit and not lose any speed and just keep on going very much like uh in alvin Kamara. So for somebody like like Harris, who has that balance, that agility, right. and absolute phenomenal vision, I mean, he's somebody who's super patient, like Le'Veon Bell, will kind of wait for that hole to open up, and then just goes. Mm -hmm. um, so he doesn't necessarily have to be the fastest guy. He's not going to outrun anybody in the secondary, unfortunately. He doesn't have that breakaway speed, but I will say that he's somebody who's going to absolutely be a monster in the NFL because of his skill set and because of that toughness that he has. Not to mention, I think, you know, one, one thing, you, you brought up a lot of good tangibles. This dude's got some good hands, too, man. Like, like this guy, his hands are very Marshall Falk-esque, you know, as far as being that combo type of uh, receiver slash running back. Comes out of the backfield. He's he's a great check down uh, receiver. You don't really have to worry about him. You know, some running backs, they don't have the best hands or, mm. you know, the hands may be a little bit too hard or, too you know, he got two bricks his hands or something like that. But he's got some really, really good hands coming out of the backfield and he's able to, you know, you can run a great screenplay for him and he can, like you said, he doesn't have top end speed. However, comma, when that guy's going downhill, either you're going to be looking like uh, Josh Norman um, from Derrick Henry or you're going to be like, you either need to figure out to call a whole bunch of people, call the Cavalry to stop this dude or you better exactly and, and also with with, with harris and uh, i just want to go back to his yeah. hands really quickly because yeah. he had 43 receptions this past season and he had one drop out of those 43 receptions um he ran the second most routes mm -hmm. out of any running back uh in the fbs he ran like 296 routes as a running back which is phenomenal he actually had the most missed tackles forced out of any running back this year um, so for me, if I'm an NFL team, if I'm the Jets or the Steelers as like a mid to late first round pick, that would be an absolute dream landing spot for him, not only for, you know, real football, you know, but for fantasy football purposes as well, because of those zone run schemes that they have, I think he would just fit absolutely well in that. Absolutely. I, and you, like you said, you hit the nail on the head with that. So um, any player that, um, you know, that's not getting any not the, the 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 buzz that the national media is talking about any player that you you feel like if you can get him in the mid to late first round so a running back that a lot of right now um, that, that i just know a lot of draft analysts uh fantasy football you know pretty much like all of like fantasy football twitter and draft twitter and whatnot they're all you know for the most part raving mm -hmm. about this kid as they should be but i feel like he's not getting as much love from the from the general public because he's a little bit of a lesser known and that's North Carolina running back Javante Williams. Um, he came into the combine at 5'10", 212 pounds. He's okay. only 20 years old and he didn't have a, 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 you know, 
an electric wow. 40. He ran a 4.58, which isn't bad. But he is one of the most complete backs right there with, with Najee Harris in this year's draft. Um, this past season, he was top mm-hmm. five in rushing yards along with his teammate, Michael Carter. He was second in rushing touchdowns, top five in yards after contact per attempt. Uh, he was number one in missed tackles forced. He's absolutely vicious when it comes to finishing runs like a Najee Harris. Always looks for contact. Um, he's someone that I love because he can run mm-hmm. in between the tackles, but he also has the quickness and the agility to bounce it to the outside right. and really turn that corner. So those are some things I like about him. Uh, he's got good burst, good speed. He's super strong um, and he's patient. You know, he's somebody like a, like a Najee Harris who can create separation at the second level where the linebackers are, but he may not break away from those cornerbacks and safeties. So right. I would think as far as like a, a landing spot for him, I'd love to see him in San Francisco or even at Miami with Miami ha- having the number 18 pick if they want to go up and take him then or take him in round two and get him in an absolute steal in round right. two. Well, Javante Williams, I, I remember the name. So I'll definitely keep on mind. I look out for him. Javante Williams, I got you because I was actually thinking oh, of the Chuba Hubbard back from Oklahoma yep. State. Uh, I can't. Yeah, I was thinking of him as well. Um, was probably going to be somebody to look out for, but you know, running backs and it's just a, it's 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 a fifty. It's a huge gamble. It's probably one of the biggest gambles in in, in NFL draft because. You know, barring you know how much they how much of their usage is, you know, you know running backs they take a beating. So you know, it's almost like they come a dime a dozen. So you can kind of get them, you know, in the mid, you know, late late rounders and whatnot, and kind of hope that you get three to four good solid years um, out of them because they're yeah, so they're, they're the most it's the most volatile position in beating, football so. because they get hit more um, yeah, than was, any other position on the field. And one knock on Williams for his pro day absolutely. was that forty time at four right. five eight. But to put that into a little bit more context. Josh Jacobs ran a four right. six, and Alvin Kamara ran a four five six at their during their combine. So, with with Williams running a four five eight, right. I'm I'm okay with that. Absolutely, take it with a grain of salt. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I definitely I appreciate you know your draft insight. I knew that you were probably be the best person to talk about this stuff because you are the uh, you know the the scout expert. But um, I know you're you're well versed in sports, and we've already talked about college basketball. We've talked a lot about football, mm. but we got to talk about my beloved Warriors real quick, man. What in the blue hell is going on with the Warriors? Like, you know, everyone keeps asking me. You know, I everyone asks me all the time, what's going on with the Dubs? What's going on? You know, they've lost seven out of eight, I think, now. Uh, they got humiliated by the Raptors, who, outside of Kyle Lowry uh, and, and, and Spicy P, I can't name you, and Fred Van Fleet, I can't name you two other players that play for the Raptors. And they lost by 53, bro. They were down by 60 at one point. I can't, I, I don't know. And and I tweeted this out not too long ago. You know, everyone's like, well, when Clay Thompson comes back next year, it'll be a different team. Chris, I'm going to be, I'm going to tell you right now. I don't even think even with Clay Thompson coming back no, next year. That he I, I see the exact same problem, thing that you do man. because what, what do you um, see, when man? you look at the Warriors and what their deficiencies are right now, Clay Thompson is not going to help them where they're, you know, where they're, they're underperforming this year because where he helps you is on the offensive side of the ball. And that's, that hasn't been an issue for them for most of the season. They've been, you know, I, I would say above average as far as being an offensive team this year. It's the defense that's been absolutely terrible. They're, they're one of the worst rebounding teams in the league and mostly because they're actually the worst offensive rebounding team in the league. Mm-hmm. They have the third most turnovers per game and the third most personal fouls per game so far this season. It's... It's it's insane. They more exactly. Fouls and um, they're a team that absolutely gets killed on the boards. You know, allowing the most offensive rebounds against them. Um, defensive rebounds, they allow the third most, I believe. And let's be honest, Clay Thompson is not a you know he's he's not somebody that really prides himself on defense, or at least shouldn't. And I he's not he's not a liability by any means, but he's not someone that's going to immediately improve that team on the defensive side of the ball. And that's where exactly. It, not on defense. So I, I, I just think that that's not something where he's not right, really going right. to. Even if he was back this season, I don't see those numbers really improving, to be honest with you. Um, it would just be a case where they would just continue to outscore the opponent. Right. And that's not a Steve Kerr esque type of right. philosophy that he has. I mean, if that was the case, they would have kept Mark Jackson. Um, one thing that Clay does, and, you know, He's not an off. He's not a defensive liability. However, he definitely hides Steph, uh, uh, Steph, Steph Curry's yes. flaws on the defensive side. Now, Steph is a defensive liability. Um, one thing that they were able to have when KD was there was that KD could literally guard one through five. 
You had Draymond Green that could guard one through five. You also had Andre Iguodala that could probably go one through four. Um, so you had a lot of these guys that were anywhere between what? Six, mm-hmm. six to six, nine. These long players. Sean Livingston, another six, nine, six, eight, six, nine. Just these long, lengthy players. And I don't see Pascal, uh, Wanamaker, um, Poole, uh, 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 Damian Lee. Uh, I, I, and listen, if we're keeping it a buck, James Wiseman's game has actually even regressed be- from the beginning of the season, which I thought was going to be the complete opposite. I thought he was actually going to get better throughout the season. And I'm not going to say, I'm not giving up on the kid yet, but his game has regressed, regressed a lot. Kevon Looney, <laughs> Chris, I swear, I, that dude looks like he's 60 years old. Like, I'm pretty yep. sure yep. That, dude's older, that dude's older than me and you, put together, combined. Like he won, and not only that, he looks like it. He moves like no, he, seventy-five he years. Looks old. like he almost, like It's he almost like a Greg like Odin-esque type of player. Know what's you know, going on. just looks way beyond his years and moves just as slow. Yeah. I I, I don't get it with them losing to the to the Hawks last night. And granted, ever since Nate McMillan has has come on to the Hawks, the Hawks have played a lot better. Like they 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 look like a legitimate NBA basketball team. But you know, the Warriors are right now. I think they're hanging on to that ten seed. They went from I believe seven or eight before the all-star break and now they're down to the 10 seed which is right around that whole play-in yeah well, thing, what they're doing is uh, the, top, the top the top six automatically get into the playoffs in. and then um, teams seven through ten do a quote-unquote play-in tournament where you know they kind of play each other and then they try to figure it out from there right right and the Warriors are right now at 10. And nobody expected the Warriors to win a championship. They had no championship aspirations this year. But, you know, everyone kind of expected them to be around that six through eight seed. And now and for the first for the first like week or two of the, the season, they were one of the um, – I would say, honestly, for I the guess, first two weeks of the season, I was like, oh, my God, the, the Warriors are going to get the number one overall pick in next year's lottery because they were absolute garbage. I thought so, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought so too. Like I thought that they were going to be the number one overall pick. They were probably going to double up and get, you know, with Minnesota probably, you know, I think it's a top three pet protected pick. And somehow Minnesota wound up getting four or five. They were going to have two top five picks probably. But now if they've lost seven out of eight and they're within this whole, you know, play in type of thing, it's kind of like, what do you do at this point? Because you're going to get a mid you're probably if you miss the playoffs, you'll get a lottery pick, but your lottery chances are going to be anywhere between a mid first rounder. And let's be honest, Chris, if you're in the mid, like if you're not in the top, I don't know, three, especially in the end of NBA draft this year where nobody knows nothing, I don't know what you do. I think it's time to start flipping assets. And you know, Bob Myers keeps saying that he's in win now mode, but he didn't do nothing during the trade line, trade deadline, besides get rid of Marquise Chris. Because they wanted to free up a little bit of luxury, which tax, is interesting that they didn't the do more to tax, improve tax that roster. Because, I mean, there there are two different scenarios where you know, especially where they were. Absolutely. I mean, right now they're two games under five hundred. They're hanging on to that number ten spot at the moment, and for them to not make any sort of improvements, if they do end up making the playoffs, they could very well be a one and done. Because they just this is a team that worries me going into the playoffs from their point of view because they aren't a complete team, you know, and and again if they are if if they have an off shooting night, if they're off, you know, from the offensive no. side of the ball, they're going to get steamrolled. And that's going to be a big issue going up against teams because granted, I will say this, the Warriors have, and I looked this up earlier, they have the seventh easiest schedule remaining for the next six weeks of the, of the season. Um, they're, they're hardest opponents. They've got uh, the Jazz, the Sixers, the Bucks, and they have Denver twice, but they also play Washington twice and the Rockets twice. So they, they've got some right. easier matchups. But I will say that, you know, that their seeding could absolutely improve because of the schedule they have over these next six six weeks. Or it can go really, really south because they're out here taking some bad L's. And, you know, I, you know, I always say that maybe, you know, the, the, there's the going rate of having draft draft capital or having picks as the, the best type of currency. But I don't I don't think so these days. Um, you know, with, with, I, I just, I just don't, I don't really, I'm not sold on having stocking up on draft picks. This isn't like the year, you know, when Danny Ainge fleeced, what was that Brooklyn yep. and got all of those picks was able to get, um, trade away Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and got back practically Jalen, uh, and, and Jason Tatum. Uh, 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 and when all, they also, Jalen Brown and, well, again, when they Jason pretty Tatum. much fleeced, uh, Brooklyn, yeah, I because I remember it was, uh, the, the Celtics had the number one overall pick and they ended up trading that to because everyone thought Markov Fultz was going to be 
Yeah, it was Philly. I'm sorry, because uh, Markel Fultz, Fultz was going to be the, the the sure thing, can't miss prospect, and they ended up trading back to number three, and they ended up taking Jason Tatum. And Danny Ainge came out later and said Jason Tatum was the guy that we were going to take all along, regardless of where we had, you know, whether whether we had the first, second, or third pick. Jason Tatum was our guy, and it reminded me of that scene in in draft day with Kevin mm-hmm. Costner when he pulled out that piece of paper and it said, you know, Vontae Mack, no matter what. Right. Right. So yeah, I, I just don't know. And I'm looking at the free agent class right now, and it's it's slim pickings this year. You know, uh, you got Chris Chris Paul, who's you know, I don't think he's he's not coming. Uh, you got Kawhi Leonard, he's got a player option. Um, I, that'll be interesting to see. You got Mike Conley, you know, he's up there in age. So you don't really have too many. There's not, you know, with Giannis getting signed up this year before the season started, Drew Holiday just signed another max deal. You know, it's slim pickings. I don't know what the Warriors are going to do this year or this offseason, but they got to figure it out, Chris. And at the end not, of this you know, season, they're going to have some um, <laughs> at the end of this them. this season, the Golden State Warriors are going to be about $51 million <laughs> over the cap. Yeah, that, that's the luck. And Steph is due for a contract extension this offseason as well. Yeah, so yeah, so uh, I'll just take my 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 three championships and just keep it pushing at this point, and just be happy that we got three. Because you know, Bob Myers keeps saying he's saying yeah, he, he wants you don't, to win you now, don't but win I now, win now when you just kind of stay put. So. Like that just that um, doesn't happen. That part, right? That part. So yeah, I just wanted to pick your brain. So other than that, man, this is a great show. But without without mm. further ado, we definitely got to do the sports business podcast. Big dummy of the day. Uh, I, you saw I'm going to let you go first you like because go I um I remember when this first like happened yeah, um, so a few days ago. I remember like reading through uh, this both individuals' uh, DMs and and tweets and, and everything. So I want you to go first, and then I'll kind of give you my, my my perspective. I changed my. Oh, okay. So I actually changed it. I, I changed my dummy of the day. Oh, perfect. Because I also okay the one that you updated. You I read that, that this morning. Yep. I'll let you have yep. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you can have that one, people. That's a spoiler, but I think you already know what Chris is talking about. But he'll go in depth into that one. But I'm going to go change. I changed it up this morning. A friend of mine sent this to me early this morning. So actually, Chris and I, we talked yesterday. and We kind of gave over our notes, what we're going to talk about. And I, I kind of pulled a quick switcheroo, so my bad on that. Uh, uh, but Carlton Davis, the defensive back out of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, apparently use like this mm-hmm. racial he and it's not apparent he used a, a, a asian slur um he was a, a, on on twitter and he he later deleted it and said something to the realm of that's what he uses for the word lame so i had to actually look up the word and yep. usually have you ever seen a full metal jacket or mm-hmm. or platoon or uh any of those 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 type of movies so the word that he used, I had to literally look it up because I didn't know that we were living in 1964 in the Vietnam War era. Like, as an Asian American, half Asian, I I, I was kind of dumped on. I was like, who, who uses that word? And, and and then I got to thinking that for him to say that that's the word that he uses as quote unquote lame or anything like that. Like, bro, you really had to do like you've really been watching some Vietnam War era movies within the last couple of weeks for you to come up with that to use that slur because I've never heard anyone in my 33 years around this son call me that word and find it as never. that's being lame. Never heard ne- never heard that word as lame. So, uh, uh, n- never. So, Carlton Davis, you definitely get the big dumb of the day. And not to mention with all of this stuff going on to the aid to our Asian community, like, that's the, that's what you had to say. Like, you couldn't say any, anything else. Like, this is stupid. This Like, why don't you just use the word lame for being lame? I don't get it. I'm just dumbfounded by it. But yeah, I didn't know that we're we're watching platoon and and you know what, you know what I would, I'm going to compare uh, that to Vietnam is movie, I think it was yeah. it was last so, month when uh, well now former Miami Heat uh, bench warmer Myers Myers Leonard came out on uh, I think it was on a Twitch stream for Call of Duty or, or some <laughs> game that he was playing on Twitch and and he had a anti-Semitic you know slur that he used yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and he came up with the same BS type of excuse like oh well I didn't know what it meant. And it's like, really? Like, you're going to use a term like that that's very well-known, you know, throughout everybody, and you're going to pretend as if you're going to be that ignorant right. where you're just going to think people are going to believe that you had no idea what it meant. 
um and i just and, and the reason why it didn't get as much traction is because right. he's literally a, a I, I don't want to be as harsh to say that he's a nobody because he's an NBA player. You know, he's good enough to make it into the NBA, but he was literally a guy that played like a minute a game in like three right. or four games. Like he's just somebody right. that you don't think of because he's just kind of there. You know, he's like the hype man for, right. for an NBA bench. He's, he's like the guy that's at the end of the bench of a college basketball team, you know, that do all these crazy antics just because they know they're never actually going to be getting on the court. Yeah. Right, right. Oh no! Nobody, right. nobody can be right. like he, he can't be like Udonis yeah. Haslam and just be a professional. He has to admit, let, let it be known. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. It was. I was just. I, I read it. and I was just like, wait, what? Huh? Like that was my initial reaction. I was just like, wait, huh? So I, I, I don't know, man. These people out here wilding, man. But Mr. Christ, your, 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 uh, the floor All is right. yours. You can so. Have it, man. We so my dummy this, of the day isn't beat. isn't a, a singular dummy. It is dummies, plural, because we have two dummies, and that and those dummies are in the form of Mr. Kevin Durant, and then some Absolutely. some guy who thinks he's hilarious named Michael Rappaport, and and Michael Rappaport has been um, I think he's more popular now for uh, for podcasts and kind of like being uh, a commentator for Ice Cube's three on three league. And apparently he and Kevin Durant are actually friends from what I've been gathering. Mm-hmm. And, and they actually talk regularly or, you know, not just on social media, but they do talk outside of, of right. social media. Um, and there was an interview that Kevin Durant gave on TNT. I think it was post game. Mm-hmm. And Michael Rappaport didn't like the way that Kevin Durant, you know, was really short with Charles Barkley and called him out on in a, in a DM or on on public social media. And so they went back and forth, um, calling each other homophobic names, uh, misogynistic uh, names, and using that type of language. And Michael Rappaport decided mm-hmm. that he was going to just completely throw Durant under the bus. And he's right. like, you know what? I'm going to tweet these messages out so that everybody can see them. But what, but what Rappaport didn't realize is that he also made himself look like a complete idiot. Um, yeah, he, he absolutely you know did what he did to Durant, but he also made himself look like a mm-hmm. fool because they both were using similar language and that's what was so mind-blowing is that you like at what point do you think that's okay um like it and don't chalk it up to you know just guys being guys or locker room talk or any other you know nonsense um like be adults like be mature adults about it and but then again when you when i when i've seen michael rapport and the the things that he's put out i can't say i was surprised kevin durant maybe um and kevin durant came out and of course gave his you know, his, his had to apology of, you know, I'm sorry for the language that I used and I'm sorry people had to see that. And like, I don't think he actually right. meant it, but you know, cause otherwise he wouldn't have used it. Um, exactly. So, so for both of them, uh, no, absolute absolutely. dummies and he wouldn't use boys it, right? grow up. Well, you know, you, you brought up some key points of Michael Rappaport. The only thing I remember See, Michael Rappaport was... The only thing was, I uh, remember from that movie by the shark. Uh, was... <laughs> that's the last thing uh, I've actually remember. Number one, that L. Cool J and Samuel L. Jackson were in it. But there was that skit that the Chappelle show did uh, about about uh, right. Samuel Jackson beer. It was like a playoff of Sam Adams. And Chappelle goes, you know, like, I was in deep blue sea. A shark ate me. Like, that That was the big thing I remember from the movie. Exactly. Right, 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 right. A freaking, a freaking shark ate me. Yeah, I remember that part. Yeah, so I, I, I was just like, where have I seen that dude? And I was like, oh yeah, he was the dude in Deep Blue Sea. I heard, so I, I did a little digging as well. And apparently like the whole, there was a whole, the KD, which, how you treated Chuck on Inside the NBA, Ooh. there was that. But apparently even stems back to a couple of years before that, Chris, where I believe okay. KD got, he, I guess Michael Rappaport asked KD for some tickets to a game. I don't know where the game was. I don't know if it was in Golden State or in New York. He asked KD for some tickets. KD was like, yeah, no problem. I guess he gives Rappaport tickets to a game. And it's like six rows. Not, it's not courtside seats. I guess Rappaport caught a fit and was like, yo, don't you know who I am? I'm Michael Rappaport. That's the best you can do is give me t- tickets in the sixth row. Like, my feet are killing me. And, you know, I'm not made to be sitting Just in be happy you got tickets like, at all. KD was like, bro, it's free. Like, what are you talking about? So... That's that part. So that's kind of where the whole shindig of allegedly kind of started as well. But yeah, to your point, um, 
you're both professionals. Well, not well. One of them is a professional basketball player, so you got to carry yourself to a certain to, to a certain type of standard. And then also, you know, you got to mm-hmm. come on now. You got to know, and you right. got to be professionals. You got to know that somehow all the stuff gets leaked out. I mean, we're talking about people's Twitter accounts that get pulled out five, six years later after they made it big. Like, what made you think that this wasn't going to happen? So. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Like them two dudes need to. Grow yeah, I think up. I think he's honestly just trying yeah, to stay relevant. To, to be honest, Rappaport just don't get eaten by another shark, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I don't get it, but it is what it is. But hey, Chris, you're always absolutely. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Chris Kennedy three one eight. But you can also find a bunch of uh, the videos that myself and my colleagues over at the Fantasy Headliners put out over on YouTube. Uh, give us a follow, like the videos. You can find us uh, at The Fantasy Headliners. And then we also have a new channel called Headliner U, which is where we're doing the pro day reviews. We're doing a ton of scouting reports to get you ready for the draft and for the upcoming NFL season. So we'd absolutely appreciate it if you, you give us a, a subscribe, like the videos, leave comments, as much love as we can get. We absolutely appreciate it. So it was the the Headliner U channel. We like started a month hours? ago. Our first video dropped a month. A and uh, and we're now up to almost like 11,000 views between our videos. Yeah. So we're we're, we're getting there. And then over the, over the Fantasy Headliners, the main channel, uh, we so topped 100,000 subscribers uh, just a few months ago. So we've, we're have we excited for the for the growth that we've had. And we're really excited for just the potential that, that this company is, is going with. Yeah. Hey, man, nothing but well wishes. Congratulations. Those are two big milestones right there. 100K, and then you start a new, Thank a you, new channel, and you already got 11,000 views on it, man. That's that's nothing but success right there. So, um, yeah, yeah, man. And once again, my name is Eric Compton. You can find me on Twitter at Sports Business, Ooh. S-P-O-R-T-Z-B-I-Z-N-E-S-S. And we also have a website, too. Yeah sportsbusiness.com so check it out um it gives a big brief background of who i am and what we do here on the podcast but other than that you can also find me on twitter at money compton and other than that man um hope everybody had a great weekend i hope everybody has a great week ahead and it's spring baseball's back masters is this weekend you know so a whole lot of stuff coming down the pipeline so um chris again you know we'll definitely have him back on the show maybe one day i'll have be uh lucky enough to get on his show one of these days but hey We'll go over here and there. But other than that, uh, thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again, Chris, for coming on. And we are out. Deuces. All right. That was awesome, man. Thank you so much.